Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. God, that you constantly pursue us. That you never turn away. You just call us deeper and deeper to seek and to find you. And you tell us that you want to reveal yourself to us, that you want us to look, and that you are happy to show your face. So Lord, I pray for each one here this morning that you would help us to have pursuant hearts, that we would seek you, and Lord, that you would meet us in just the way that we need to be met this morning. Surround us with your comfort, surround us with your peace, Lord, surround us with your mercies and your encouragement as we seek to follow in the way of Jesus for the sake of our communities and the sake of the world. Pray through Christ's name this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, our passage from this morning's lectionary comes from the book of Isaiah. And we've been hanging out in Isaiah for a few weeks now. And so in light of that, before we get into the passage for this morning, I wanted to say just a brief word, very brief word, about God's prophets. I think that we can sometimes hold a misguided idea that the role of the prophet is primarily to predict the future, as if the prophet is some kind of future forecaster that has some kind of magical way of looking ahead and predicting what's to come. Prophets are not sent by God to predict some far-off future reality. We certainly will find language in the prophetic books that speak about the forward movement of things. We'll see a little bit of that in our passage for this morning. But primarily, the prophet comes with a message for God's people for the present moment. The prophet offers God's people a message about how to live today in the now, how to be who God is calling them to be. And so when we read the prophets, and in fact, when we read any scripture, whether that's the Hebrew Bible, what we would find in the Old Testament, or the gospel accounts, or the letters to the early church, we read as contemporary hearers, we read not as the original audience those ancient texts are written to. And so we have to bear that in mind, and that's why good scholarship and good interpretation and good translation and our own ongoing deepening study is important as 21st century hearers of these ancient texts. So I want you to bear that in mind as we listen to God's word today. Now Isaiah, let's talk specifics for a minute, Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the scriptures. There is debate, not surprisingly, about authorship of Isaiah. Most scholars believe there is more than one author at work over the whole of Isaiah. There's also debate, not surprisingly, about when Isaiah or when portions of Isaiah were written. Those debates are important, but they're not critical for the message this morning. What is important and what I want us to hear today is that the book of Isaiah seems to be speaking to different eras of Israel's history, so different time periods, meaning different groups of people who are living in very different realities. Okay, let me break that open just a little bit further. We're not going to go super deep on that today, but let me try to explain that a little bit more. So Isaiah, 66 chapters. Let's say chunk one of Isaiah, so chapter one through 11 
let's say, seems to be addressing God's people prior to the Assyrian conquest. So this is a pre-Assyrian Israel. This is before the nation of Assyria invades, okay? Chunk two, so let's say chapters 12 through 39, or roughly, seem to be addressing God's people during, who, who uh, invaded after Assyria? Babylon. Hey, Katie in the front row. <clears throat> Leave it to the historian. Yeah, so, so chunk two, addressing God's people during a Babylonian conquest, so in the midst of what is a long period of time. Our passage this morning, which is Isaiah 51, is located within a section. We're going to call it chapters 40 through 54, thereabouts. This is written to a people in exile. At this point in history, God's people are under Babylonian captivity. Marty does some wonderful teaching around this. It's been super helpful for me, Marty, and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction if you want to go deeper on that, or you could just ask, just ask Marty. He's here today. We're not going to go deep into any of that today. Uh, that's a semester's worth of teaching. The main point I want us to hear today is that the passage for this morning, Isaiah 51, is written to a people held captive, a suffering people, a people in exile. They have been punished, they have been stripped, they have been plundered, and dare I say, they are struggling to persevere in this new reality that they've been handed. And it is into this reality that God sends his messengers, the prophet, with tender words of comfort and encouragement. So this is the context within which our passage sits this morning. Let me read it, Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 6. And as I read, I really want you to try to engage your imagination. And I know I say that every time I get up here and speak, but that's really important when we read the prophets. I want you to hear the artistry. I want you to hear the poetry. I want you to hear how the prophet architects words that conjure images that are meant to speak directly to the heart. And if you dare, let them speak directly to your heart this morning as well. Isaiah 51. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness. You that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and I made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Listen to me, my people, and give heed to me, my nation. For a teaching will go out from me and my justice for a light to the peoples. I will bring near my deliverance swiftly. My salvation has gone out and my arms will rule the peoples. The coastlands wait for me and for my arm they hope. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and those who live on it will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever, and my deliverance will never be ended. I have to tell you <clears throat> that these words have really been doing my heart some good in recent weeks. I hear a call to hope. I hear a call to persevere and to endure and have a great expectant faith. I hear a call to remember 
who God is in relationship to the rest of creation, including us. And I hear a call to recognize the mightiness of God and the power of God and that God indeed wants to show his merciful ways. I hear a call to listen and to look for those merciful, renewing ways. And I hear words that remind me that what we experience now is not forever, that in fact there is more than this, more than our present realities. God's people are sitting in captivity. Their land and their lives have been turned inside out and upside down. They have strayed from their place in God's story, and they are suffering the consequences, suffering, we might say, unjustly for the wrongs of others, those who have preceded them. And now, into that present time, God comes with a message of hope and perseverance and comfort, and I think a message of instruction for how God's people are to make their way through the suffering, through the struggle, and come out the other side. And that's what I want to look at closer with you this morning. God's instruction for making our way through suffering or through struggle into healing, freedom, and wholeness. So let's look a little closer. I'm going to go line by line here. God says this, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. God's people have turned away. They have forgotten that God has called them to be his partner. And still, still God says, I am giving you yet another chance to pursue me. It's what we call repentance, this turning, whole body turning or whole body turning to God. It's as if God is saying, I am a God who desires to be found. I am a God who delights in revealing myself to my people. So seek me. Turn to me, find me, pursue me, and live according to my very good and just ways. When we suffer, when we struggle, when we are faced with circumstances that knock us off our feet, towards what or towards whom do we turn? Is it God or something else? In my life, I have noticed that in times of desperation, when faced with uncomfortable or even painful situations or circumstances, I've noticed that my pursuit can rather quickly shift off of God primarily and onto anything that I think might help alleviate the pain a little quicker. And in and of, these, in and of themselves, these things might not, not be awful things, but they sure can take up a lot of space where I think God actually wants to dwell. And before I know it, I am no longer seeking God for comfort or God for guidance, but rather something of this world, and that does not quench the thirst very long. We do this. We all do this. That's why we need to be reminded fairly regularly to make God our primary pursuit above all else, Jesus, Lord of our lives in all circumstances. God wants to be pursued. God wants to show his face to his people, but we have to be willing to seek in order to find. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and I made him many. When we suffer, when we struggle, when we are faced with circumstances that knock us off our feet, 
God says, remember. Remember where you came from. Remember your place in the story. Remember how Abraham became my faithful servant. That is your calling too. And also while you're at it, God might say, remember that I am a God who keeps my promises. Abraham was but one man. Sarah was well beyond childbearing age. And what did I do, God asks. I said to Abraham, count the stars if you are able, because as countless as the stars, so shall your descendants be. Remember that I am a God who keeps my promises. When we are in the midst of suffering, when we are faced with uncomfortable, even painful situations, God encourages us to look backwards, to examine our personal story, but to also examine the much wider and the much longer story of God's people, to remember who God is and what God has done so that we might have faith to keep walking. Many of you know that about a month and a half ago, I lost my brother, Derek. And as I've been walking my mom and dad through this just the shock and the disbelief and the heartbreak of the circumstances surrounding his death, one thing that we've started to do, and really just the past week or so, one thing that we've started to do is to name the ways we see God's fingerprints daily. It's a very simple practice, and it's not the easiest thing to do in times of sorrow, but I have to tell you that it is helping us walk through this very long, dark tunnel, trusting that God is with us and that God will carry us through because he always has. Sometimes we need the long view to remember the goodness of God. Sometimes we just have to look over our shoulder at yesterday and remember that God is still good and God is still faithful and God is still with us. So try it. See what you see. God wants us to remember who he is and what he's done. For the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. This God of ours is a renewing God, always has been. He's been about that work since the very beginning. He's one who brings life back into dead places, brings water into wilderness, streams in the wasteland, puts songs in our hearts and rejoicing words on our lips. When we are in the midst of suffering, when we are faced with circumstances that knock us off our feet, when we are sitting in darkness, when we are confronted with disorientation or doubt or fear or death, contemplating God's renewing ways, while not always easy, seems to be exactly what God wants his people to do. Look for my renewing ways, even as you sit in captivity, God says. I know for me, in order to do this, often I have to look outside my immediate surroundings. I have to take in the broader creation. That's why I go off to the woods quite often. And I have to lean on others in community to help me see, to help me see when I can't. If you were here last weekend, you might remember Katie's exhortation right in the middle of the song set. Does anybody remember that? I already gave her a hard time about that. You have to ask permission before you speak, Katie. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. 
uh, it was actually such a lovely and welcomed interruption to business as usual around here. And Katie observed that this morning and then spoke something about the song lyrics. And we sang the song again this morning. This song that proclaims that God's mercies are new every single morning. And Katie pointed out that what those lyrics don't say is that God will fix my problems every single morning or that God will take the pain away every single morning or squelch my fears and doubts every single morning. God doesn't say that just that the mercies of God will be new every morning. And I think this ought to tell us something about God's renewing ways. Because all too easily, and I am guilty of this, my friends, all too easily we can look around and all we see is brokenness or all we see is darkness or all we see is chaos. We see all the dried up barren places and we say, where is your renewal, God? Where is it? And when I go to that place, which is a little bit more frequently than I'd like to admit, but when I go to that place, you know what God says back to me? He says, uh-huh, and comfort, and joy, and gladness, and gratitude, and maybe even song will be found in those places too, in the midst of those places. There will be singing in war zones. Art will be made in calamity. You will lay stitches in the fabric. The fabric will still tear. Perhaps, however, your single note sung from weary lips is the beginning of renewal, God might say. Maybe it's the beginning of something that needs to happen in you because we know renewal often starts in our heart. So will we say yes to that day in and day out? Listen to me, my people, and give heed to me, my nation, for a teaching will go out from me and my justice for a light to the people's. To the suffering servant, that is Israel, to the suffering servant, God says once more, pay attention. Pay attention. I am a God who delights in revealing myself to my people. Revelation flows from me. My ways are made known. Look for them and let them illuminate your path like lights on a runway. My friend Sandy likes to remind me to look for what she calls God winks little moments, little flickers of light in the midst of darkness. I like to just call them God's fingerprints, but small signs, little markers that tell us God is here. God's ways are evident. His kingdom is among us. We just have to notice, just have to learn how to pay attention. I will bring near my deliverance swiftly. My salvation has gone out and my arms will rule the peoples. The coastlands wait for me and for my arm they hope. It's as if God is saying, even those far away, those you might think will never know me, will receive my saving power too, and you have a part to play in that partner. So look up and zoom out and gain a new perspective. Lift your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath. Behold my majesty, God says, behold my mightiness, God might say, I created all of this, and because of my power, God says, the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and you will die like a fly, but my salvation will be forever, my deliverance, which is my setting things right, will never end. Wow. I... I wrote a poem, or maybe it's a prayer. I couldn't decide, so I called it a prayer poem and put it on your seats this morning. You're welcome to take that with you or spit your gum in it, do whatever you want with it. 
but it's my time, it's from my time with this passage this week. And you'll see towards the end there that I write about the temporariness of life on this earth. We can behold the big things of God, that is the things in creation, the skies above, and we can behold the small things of God, the earthworms below. We can do that and still somehow remove ourselves from this same kind of evaluation as if we're also not one of the small things below. How often do you reflect on your own human smallness, your own human limitation, the reality that one day your life will be snuffed out, the things that feel like such a great burden now or that feel so important now someday won't be. And I don't mean to be morbid at all or defeatist in any way. That's not my point. I just simply mean to say that when we can start to accept our human smallness as a gift, we are on the way to finding new freedom in this life. The best definition I've ever heard of humility, and I can't remember who quoted this, so forgive me, or who said this, but the best definition I've ever heard of humility is a right understanding, that is an appropriate understanding of who I am in relation to who God is. And recognizing our smallness, our weakness, our human limitation in comparison to God's, God's grandeur and God's mightiness and God's power, it's not meant to be an exercise in feeling bad about ourselves or feeling shame. It's meant to be a way in which we find freedom, accepting who we are, the created, in relation to who God is the creator. It's good for us to remind ourselves that God is God and we are not, especially when things feel like they're spinning out of control and are out of our hands. God's got it. We're in his hands. We don't have to have it all together all the time, and I find that to be particularly good news. So all of this, all of this, earnestly seeking God and trusting that he wants to be found, remembering who we are, and what God has done for us as a people and as individuals, taking time to find God's fingerprints all over creation, calling out the renewing ways when we see them, and contemplating our smallness next to God's mightiness. All of this, I think, is instruction, practices, we might say, we like that word around here, practices that give God's people a way to make it through this life which is peppered sometimes with more suffering and sorrow and difficulty than we think we can bear. But he gives us these ways so that we can walk through with hope and joy and perseverance and peace and maybe even a bit of song, glorifying as we go, glorifying him as we go. So let's be a people who walk with hope and who walk with joy and who walk in peace no matter the circumstances. Let's help each other do that. We need each other to do that well. Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of these ways. He knew how to seek God, and he did so all the time. He knew his part in the story and trusted that God is a God that keeps his promises. He knew how to consider the lilies and the birds and the children and find holy and small things. He embodied God's renewing ways. And despite what he suffered, and remember there were many deaths before his ultimate death, despite what he suffered, he did not forsake the call to be who God made him to be so that the rest of creation could experience the power and the mightiness and life with God then, now, and for the rest of time. Praise God for his wondrous ways, for his salvation that stretches to the ends of the earth for all time.
we have rhythms and practices around here that we participate in every week to help us embody our place in the story. We say a confession together every week. That's to remember that we're not yet who God has called us to be, and still God is faithful, and still God pursues us, and still God is steadfast. And we take communion every single week to remember our suffering Savior, man of many sorrows, the one we call the wounded healer, giving, him, giving himself up so that others could find healing and wholeness and then in turn inviting us to do the same, to give our lives so that life might be found. So as we move into these rhythms, I hope you hear this message as encouragement today. That was my hope and my prayer. I hope that, that I'm leaving you feeling encouraged I, I hope that whatever you're experiencing or have experienced or will experience, you will do so trusting God's with you in it, that God wants to show himself to you and to help you through it, and that there's a community here that you can lean on who will support you and care for you and help carry you and remind you who you are along every step of the way. DJ and I have been on the receiving end of that the past month. I can't tell you how grateful I am. So let's be that for each other. Let's help each other make the pursuit of Christ our number one priority, no matter what. So if you're willing, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to speak a word of confession before we move together towards the Lord's Supper. Would you say these words of confession aloud with me? 